Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday Follow-Up for Season 13, Episode 14. This is Bob's interview with search and seizure expert, Eric Stewart. Eric took the time to provide a lot of insight and answers to your listener questions. However, because this is a listener-driven interview, we only have a few questions for the follow-up. So after we answer those questions, Bob, Janet, and I are going to present a few current missing persons cases. Before we jump into that, Bob, do you have any housekeeping notes? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, the only one that I'll give you guys is when you are listening to this episode, and if you're on Patreon and on Wednesday you hear the Anand Syed episode, if it sounds funny, I'm sorry. So we're trying some new settings on our on our uh, our mixer, and I won't know if it worked properly in the recording until I'm in edit, and I will have recorded both of them before I edit that. So. Um, if it sounds like we're like coming, Zach and I are like coming in and out, that'll be the last time because we'll change those settings before next week. Uh, other than that, no, no, uh, no housekeeping. Uh, like Zach said, we don't, you know, I think we had like three comments. We got a ton of great feedback about the episode, but the questions I was asking Eric were questions from listeners. Right. And, and I, I will tell you, I said at the end of the episode and I 100% meant this, like I could have picked his brain for hours i thought it was just a fascinating conversation it was a great lesson yeah it was a really good lesson yeah and uh i learned a lot uh i hope you guys did too so i guess first we'll start out um i'll let janet go first this week what what did you think of the episode any any takeaways any hot takes any hot takes uh i thought it was great you know i i was i'm glad i think you were nicely sensitive to the idea of the headspace that we can all find ourselves in working in wrongful convictions or listening to stories about wrongful convictions and wanting to kind of think of it as keeping the cops in check for our rights. And I feel like that, you know, that thread kind of went through the episode. But at the same time, it was definitely good and interesting to hear that from him, his perspective, it's not it's it's not that he's not thinking about civilians rights, but he's thinking about what cops need to do to protect themselves also. Yeah. Um, and that kind of you when you think about it from that perspective, like everyone wins, like just yeah. just ha- just know all of this stuff and and uh, and don't get in trouble and don't violate someone's rights because that's not good either. But like hearing him talk about, you know, the 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 little amount of education that's put into that on the front facing side or like on the front end of of cops being trained and the fact that he has to go around trying to explain to different departments like hey i know it seems like an expense up front but this is how much it will cost you if these guys don't know this and by guys of course i mean all genders but you know so i i that i don't know that was all very interesting yeah i i really i really got the feeling from him that his like his mission his goal is to teach officers to do it right for every reason, to protect them, to protect the citizens. And I really like that he drew on what, what you were just talking about. Like he, he was able to articulate like, yeah, it might cost you $20,000 to put everybody through through proper training, uh, but it could cost you $100,000 a year in lawsuits if you don't. So why don't we do it right? And I was, I was, I was so impressed at the, the case law. Oh, that he, he was, cited a bunch. Oh, it yeah. was great. And and you guys only heard it, so maybe you thought that he was reading. I was on Zoom with him. He never looked up from the camera. Like right. he knew all that case law off the top of his head. I believe uh, it. Which was which was shocking to me. And I looked some of it up afterwards. I had I had some discussion with um, some listeners 
on Facebook afterwards. So I was lo- looking a few things up, and it's like he like he knows his stuff. His, his the case law he cited was was extru- was accurate, and he knows it like the back of his hand. What do you think, Zach? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, no. Janet. Oh no, no. I mean, I I I was gonna say I I really appreciated when he got to the point where he said, you know, so that's part of it. The other part is building trust in communities and and doing that part yeah. of your job and and being in a mm-hmm. place where you trust the person that you're pulling over and the person that you're pulling over trusts you on at least on some level. I know some of that sounds unrealistic, but I don't know. I thought that was uh, he definitely touched on that piece. And I think that was probably pretty important to most of us. Sorry, Zach. What were you going to say? No, for me, it, the- I'm going to interrupt you again, Zach. Okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to you. Great. I just, sorry. I just wanted to point out, uh, uh, Michelle in the, in the chat just, just said, not to mention as taxpayers, they're the one you're, we're the ones that ultimately pay for those lawsuits. So it's a win for us as taxpayers on that side as well, which I think is a really good point. Uh, and now Zach, <laughs> what did you think? I'm going to talk really quick just to get this over with. No, for me, it was very insightful. I, and actually, it was two fronts. There was, it was very insightful, but then also on the, the, the funnier front for me is it also makes you realize that like they can pretty much figure a way out to do it legally. Like everything he said, there's a way that they can search you. Like they can figure a way out to search you legally. And I know that's maybe the conspiracy side of me. Maybe that's the layman side of me. I don't know what it is, but you know, when, when he starts talking is about, he said, well, you know, the, the air around the car is considered free space or what, however he yeah, said it. It's not mm-hmm. protected. Yeah. So it's just little things like that. And where I was like, there's a way to do it legally and to not get a lawsuit, but pretty much they could find a way to write a warrant. Kind of. Yeah. To write a warrant maybe. But I also like where he's, you know, like in that example, like to, as far as like cars and drug dogs, we were asking. Uh, that I was asking about, you know, how he said, like, you cannot prolong the stop. And of course, he, you know, he cited the case law that, in regards to that. But, you know, I didn't hear him saying, you know, here's ways that you can make it seem like you're extending the stop. No, and I don't feel like he, def- I, 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 first of all, let me, get, I'm not, I love this interview. It was a great, great interview. I, and I'm, I, I thought there was a lot of great information. That's just the way that I saw it is mm-hmm. when I, when he started talking about that stuff is he, it was never like he presented it that way, but that's what I ultimately saw when he started talking about like the curtilage mm-hmm. where he was talking about that house getting searched and, and your, or that pole barn getting searched because it wasn't necessarily considered part of the living space. Yeah. To yeah. me, that still is pretty mind blowing because that still seems like it's private property. I don't understand how that works. I get that there's case law that helps it, but it's little things like that where I'm like, Seems like there's a lot of ways around things. There's a lot of things I learned in the episode, and that was one of them that was surprising to me. Like the, the fact that, so I have, I have quite a bit of property here. The, the fact that it's perfectly legal for police to go in the back of my property and search back there without a warrant, without my consent, without anything. And I don't think it's, it's like a loophole. It's it just, that's the law that they're able to do that because it's not part of the living space. Like, I didn't know that. The thing about, um, uh, extending a traffic stop I, that's one thing that i thought was really cool about the episode was learning some of those things because i'm sure there are people many people out there where an officer said you know can i search your car and you say no and you say all right well then you stay put because i'm going to get a dog to come in and they come search it with a dog and the driver doesn't know like no you can't make me stay here if the stop is over to wait for you to f- see if you can find probable cause hmm. so i thought that was really interesting no that is interesting but on the other end of that again he talks about the the plain sight idea. Like if you can see something that's in plain sight, you can use that as part of your 
your probable cause. Mm-hmm. And we've we've actually had you you had a listener on or you had a guest on a few seasons ago when we kind of our intermediate season who was a corrupt officer and he actually talked about that that plain sight yeah. and how they would use that. Well, he was planting stuff, wasn't he? Well, so what it was is they went the the, the big time that he talked about it is they went into a house and moved something. Yeah, and, and claimed it was and plain claimed sight. it was si- mm-hmm. plain sight. Yeah. yeah. So again, I loved I love this interview. I, I thought there was a lot of great insight in it. I'm not I'm not dogging it by any means. I, I loved hearing it, but that's all that kept running through my mind was mm-hmm. was the the idea of like it seems like legally they can still figure a lot out here. Mm, I get that. Yeah, I'm sure there's definitely ways that they can exactly what you're saying. And then there's the other I tried to bring out because it's I'm like like you too, like we work in wrongful convictions. So I'm always looking at like what could this cap get away with? Uh, because of the space that we work in, so I was trying to constantly get put my mind set in a place where I was. I was also remembering there are also a lot of times where we need the police to catch the bad guy to stop someone from hurting someone, uh, and, and so you know from that perspective, you you can see where yeah, as long as you're within the law, you, you know now like what you just described is not within the law. You know, moving something and then claiming it was in plain sight. No, thank you. Right. But but like knowing the law well enough to know what you can do to make sure, because a big thing that we talk about is if the police do their job right, then th- then they're going to get good evidence that can actually convict the the you know because just you know as bad it's not just as bad, but pretty close uh, as as convicting the wrong person, which is I think worse. But right up there is someone who is clearly guilty of someone particularly something you know violent or harming someone and they end up walking free because some cop cut corners and then that evidence ends up getting thrown out and they can't use it in court right so i think from both perspectives it's good for the police to know what they legally can and should do for sure and and i think eric did a really good job of pointing that out and and pointing out the fact and i and i by no means i'm saying that I believe Eric was trying to get away with anything when he was talking about this. I think he is talking about the general education and trying to educate officers into doing things properly. So I, like I said, I, there's a lot of good information there. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of anything else that I learned. I learned the word curtilage. Um, I, I hope I played off pretty well that I, that I seemed like uh-huh. I knew what he was talking. I, I knew what he was talking about, but I have definitely never heard that term before, yeah. uh, before that interview, uh, Kelly in the chat mentioned something about that. It's interesting. The, the different specific trainings that dogs have. Uh, and I thought most of you guys know, like I, I have a hunting dog that I, that I train. So it's, it, that stuff's all interesting to me how you can, you know, like my dog, Mac, I have trained to sniff for only birds. So if he if he comes across the smell of a rabbit or a deer or a porcupine, which is a thing that happens to a lot of bird dog, he ignores it because he's only trained to search for that thing. So it's 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 super interesting that they can take dogs and train them to only sniff for marijuana or to only sniff for methamphetamine or for both or all those things. And that that law was super interesting to me about in Colorado if you know if a if a dog that has been trained on marijuana hits on a car that they can't use that for probable cause. Yeah. I think that I wasn't able to figure it out, but I, but I, but I, but I like my theory on that because the, the thing that makes the most sense to me is you can't call probable cause because your dog smelled something that's perfectly legal for them to have. 
Mm-hmm. Be like, if you're, it's like, well, the dog detected that there was a spork in there. And so I'm going to search your car for drugs. The interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> That's what came into your mind. I'm, I'm saying this as I think about it right now. But it, just because it's legal doesn't mean anything. I mean, they do that with, with drinking and driving, right? So if the officer comes up and believes you've been drinking, can smell alcohol, they will have you typically step out and take a breathalyzer. And now there is a point of consumption that you can be under and still operate a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that's not illegal, but that's still using the same suspicion. I should have asked him that because I believe you don't have to consent to field sobriety tests or to uh, breathalyzer. Really? Mm. Yeah. I, I believe that like, you can say no, and then they would have to get a warrant or detain you, but they, they're probable cause. So they're, tra- I know, I, I know a lot about this specifically because I sat as a juror through a trial for a DUI and learned a ton. Like the fact that the legal limit of 0.08 isn't actually a legal limit. Uh, that's just one factor they use to, it's, it's the way it was described to me is basically if you're above a 0.08, then you're pretty much considered legally drunk hmm. and without no really way to argue it. But you don't have to be above 0.08. In fact, the person that got convicted in my case, I was an alternate, so I didn't get to vote, uh, blew a 0.05 and was convicted of DUI. Hmm. And it was based on, they talked about the science of, uh, I'm kind of air quotes with science because I I don't buy it. There's too much subjectivity there. But the field sobriety test, they're actually trained. The officer was citing like, if a person is standing on one foot and is saying their alphabet and they're not able to do it without singing, there's a 70% chance that they are too impaired to drive. It's stuff like that. Like they have all these like statistics. I have so, I have such a problem with that. There are people who have inner ear issues with balance. There are people who just get nervous and wouldn't be able to remember the alphabet backwards. There are people who are dyslexic. Like there's, I have so many problems with what you just said. And I know that's not, this is not that conversation, but. We have two listeners that kind of jumped in and said, if you decline, it's an automatic license suspension. If you decline mm-hmm. to do a field sobriety test, I may, oh, I may have to send Eric a text and ask because I'm, I'm curious what the, I mean, I, I 100% believe that that's accurate. I'm curious like what the, what the, like, again, not that I'm questioning them, but I'm just curious what the, um, what the justification, the legal justification is for that. Because, because for most things, like you don't have to let them search anything. And there's other, so the, the listener that I mentioned, I gave the, the scenario that just went through this DUI situation and that's still pending. I don't know what's going to, but in his case, they took him out and did field sobriety tests because there was the empty beer cans in the back of the truck. And they said, well, we're arresting you for DUI. You're because your eyes were not focused or whatever. And he said, he explained to them, I wear prescription glasses. I don't have my glasses on. Can I get my, can I get my glasses? And they're like, nope, that's it. You're going. And then he was literally begging them to, he's like, give me a, can you give me a breathalyzer? Like, let right. me, let me, give, I'm not drunk. I haven't been drinking. Give me a breathalyzer. And they refused to give him a breathalyzer and just took him to the hospital to do blood work. Another thing that I, as long as we're, you know, we don't have a lot of questions, we're just chatting about this, but that I, I learned in the DUI case that I, that I sat in as a juror field sobriety test, or uh, excuse me, uh, Field breathalyzers are not admissible in court. I had no idea that was the case because I, I actually talked to the prosecutor in that case after the fact because I was like, how'd they convince? He said, well, because she was drunk. I'm like, I saw all kinds of probable cause. She blew a .08. I didn't see what you're claiming was her slurring in the in the body cam video. 
And the officer told me that there's a 70% chance that she was intoxicated based on the field sobriety test. Well, 70% to me means there's 30% of reasonable doubt that she's not. And he said, well, between us, that person, they, you know, they blew up whatever. They blew something higher on the scene, but the jury's not allowed to know that because it's not admissible in court. You have to go to the hospital. Hmm. Fun fact. All right. Is there anything else either of you guys want to talk about with the interview? Anything, any takeaways other than the stuff we've already discussed? All right. So now, uh, as promised, because uh, as, oh, well, we do, we do have like three, at least listener comments. We should do those. Yeah, I, we can just shout them out. I think we've covered some of this, but um, Tara says, interesting topic to learn about. The open fields doctrine was especially surprising to me. Did anything jump out at you as potentially useful in the missing persons or wrongful conviction cases you've covered? Uh, the open fields doctrine is definitely one that, that I thought of in, um, I'm trying to, was it Andy Wagner's case or it might've been Caden Black's case? I can't remember, but they, uh, but they were wanting to do searches of some wooded areas and the police had told them that, uh, that, well, it's, it, they, they can't really search there cause that's all private property. And it sounds like, and as a matter of fact, I need to write myself, let me see your pen. Uh, write myself a note to contact them to let them know that, you know, because it could be, because it sounds like one of the questions I asked Eric was when you go teach these trainings, are you finding that everybody's like, yeah, duh, or are people like genuinely like did not know this stuff? And and he said, you guys heard him, he said that in a lot of cases, they did not know what they were supposed to be doing or that they were violating people's rights or whatever the situation might be. So I wonder if like that, if that police department, if they hear like, you absolutely can go. If it's not in their living space, you can go search those fields. You can go search those woods. You don't need permission. You don't need a warrant to go search and look for somebody's body. So I think that's one way that it could really could really help us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alva says, great information. Thank you. The information on the topic of a traffic stop not exceeding the time for a dog to arrive. I would think this happens more often than not. We talked a little bit about that, mm -hmm. but that also uh, stood out to Alva. Um, and then Grayson said, Besides drugs, what else can cause a search and seizure? Um, like, can they stop you if they feel you fit a profile of someone who they've been, you know, been given a bolo on or like someone just shoplifted something and they were wearing this hoodie? Like, when do you get into the sort of profiling versus other suspicions about other things? So I don't I don't like calling that profiling because I think that's something different mm -hmm. to, to me. And that's just to me. To me, profiling is like. It's a uh, it's a person of color driving in a particular neighborhood. So sure. I'm going to stop them. But the thing is, all of this gets argued in court, right? So most defense attorneys, we just we're seeing it with the um, uh, the Delphi case. Uh, you know that that trial's coming up, and and if you're following the case, you see constant motions by the defense to try to suppress evidence. We've seen in all of our cases, if you go through the pretrial stuff, they're trying to suppress evidence. You know, you know, in Non's case, they're trying to suppress the cell phone evidence. They're trying to suppress you know, Jay's testimony or whatever it is. So that's a very common thing. So it all comes down to how confident you are in what will hold up in court. So in, in your example, so say you fit the, you get pulled over because you fit the description of somebody. I think an officer could make that argument and, and most judges would probably accept that. So like, say that happens, a person gets arrested and then the defense says, I want to suppress anything you know the entire stop it's fruit of the poisonous tree because they didn't have probable cause to stop him and question him or whatever the whatever the thing is and, and an officer might say well we had 
this description where somebody you say is a bank robbery or whatever. And and we were told that that the robber left in a gray Hyundai Elantra and it was a white male with brown hair and a beard and he was wearing a blue ball cap and we saw this person driving uh that type of car he's 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 a white male with a brown hair and a beard and a blue ball cap that was probable cause enough to us so i think and again don't ever ever take anything i say as legal advice because i'm not an attorney Mm -hmm. but i think that kind of along the lines of what zach was saying that they can kind of find a way right so but it's always going to come down to the defense then saying this evidence should be suppressed because they did not have probable cause to get it. And then the state having to argue that there was probable cause and provide evidence for that. And then a judge is going to decide if it, if it stays in or if it's thrown out. Got it. Uh, well, that is what we have. And we don't have a ton of time. And I know that we do have some missing persons, ca- missing persons cases that we wanted to cover. Um, who yeah. would you like to start with? I'm going to go first only because you guys seem to have done more work than me on it. So I, uh, I want to shout out uh, Erica Cantor, who all you guys all know, who uh, has been gathering missing persons cases for us and put together kind of some one sheets for us. Because I told her that we wanted to be able to just in a couple of minutes highlight some cases and then put like flyers and stuff on our website to help get the word out. So if it hits an area where you're where you live nearby or you have some connection to where you can share this stuff. Uh, and, and so Erica sent me uh, a sheet on the one that I'm going to talk about. She sent one to, to Janet, um, who was, uh, Janet was busy traveling for work, uh, during the week. So she just popped that over. Uh, Zach is an overachiever and looked up his own case and did all of his own research. So I'm going to go first so that you, I'm going to set the bar low for you guys and, uh, you can go from there. So my missing person, missing person comes from, uh, Kingsport, Tennessee. Uh, it is Layla Santanello. She's 21 years old. She disappeared on June 27th of 2023. So it's a couple of months ago. Uh, she has a two-year-old daughter. She was last heard from telling her mom that she would be staying at a motel with some friends in with a friend in Kingsport. She was seen on motel cameras going door to door with no shoes on. She then ran into a nearby tree line and was seen in a field between 8 and 10 a.m. on the 27th of June. At noon on that day, Layla was seen inside of an ice cream shop where she told an employee that she was going nearby to buy some shoes. And then after that, Layla was never seen again. Uh, on the 3rd of August, this, uh, this well, it'll be last month by the time you hear this on Friday, uh, the Texas Bureau of Investigation issued an endangered young adult alert. Uh, there's been large-scale multi-agency search that took place on the 15th of August and they did, had no result. They used canines, drones, and underwater sonar. They searched about 320 acres with over 100 first responders. The focus areas now are a trail, some local shopping plazas, and surrounding areas. So from what I read in some online articles, it, it was not clear. I don't know if if there's some sort of a mental break going on if she was struggling with with substance abuse or something was going on with her the fact that she's running around without shoes she certainly was it doesn't seem like she was like fleeing someone mm. at the time because you know she went into an ice cream shop she talked to somebody uh, i got the impression from the articles i read that she was uh, you know that they were asking her or maybe saying you, know, you can't be in here without shoes on and she told him no i'm going to go buy some shoes 
and then she just vanishes. So it seems like she was in a very vulnerable state, and then she just disappeared, which is a very scary thing. Um, and and she's she's pretty small of stature, and uh, was in that vulnerable state, and then disappeared. So uh, there's definitely a concern. So if you're anywhere around Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, please look at all of our social and our website to get this information to share it. So uh, Layla Santanello is four foot ten, one hundred and thirty five pounds. She's white. She has blonde hair, brown eyes, and she was last seen wearing a white tank top, black leggings, and she had no shoes on. If you have any information on the disappearance of Layla Santanello, you can contact the Kingsport Police Department Criminal Investigations Division at 423-229-9429 or the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 1-800-TBI-FINE. And that is my missing persons case of the week from Kingsport, Tennessee. So that's mine, and uh, Zach, I'll let you go ahead and go next with yours. All right, my missing persons case is out of Red Lake, Minnesota. Now, Red Lake, Minnesota is an unincorporated community on the southern shore of Lower Red Lake in northern Minnesota. So it's a, it's a very small community. It's a population of about 1,700 people. It's actually, it's actually an indigenous community, um, primarily. So what we know is on the evening of July 17th, 2023, Gus Red Eagle, a 23-year-old Native American male, was last seen near his sister's house in the area of Highway 89 and Walking Shield Road. Now, Gus has not been seen or contacted his family member since that evening, uh, which is very, very unusual, according to his family, and out of character. And, and here's what we know about the night that Gus went missing. So... What's been released is late Monday night, the 17th, or early Tuesday, July 18th, there was what was believed to be an altercation with a neighbor. So that the area they lived in was a housing community. So it doesn't, it, we don't know if it was a direct neighbor. We don't know if it was just somebody in the housing community. And it's, it's unsure, like it hasn't been said if it's a physical altercation, a verbal altercation, but we, but we know there was some sort of altercation occurred with a neighbor. Hmm. So so law enforcement has actually done searches of the area using ATVs, drones, canines, and nothing's turned up. Um, at this point, <clears throat> the families, I mean, they, it's all over social media. They're extremely worried. So Gus Red Eagle is a 23-year-old Native American male, about five foot nine, about 160 pounds. Gus has brown eyes and black hair and was last seen wearing a blue shirt, black shorts, and black shoes. Gus's family is also currently raising money for a reward for any information to help find him. Um, it's all donated items and they're raffling off. They're doing like a raffle for it. A lot of these items are coming from people in the community. There's also a, a it's MMIR missing in or murdered and missing indigenous relatives organization has donated a lot of goods for this raffle. I'll, I'll put all the information in the fan group. Uh, if you have any information about the whereabouts of Gus Red Eagle, please contact the Red Lake Law Enforcement at 218-679-3313 or the Red Eagle family at 218-328-4546. All right, thank you for that. And I, I also want to, uh, it looks like uh, Nicole in the chat asked me if uh, Layla was missing in Tennessee or Texas. I must have misspoke if I said Texas, so thanks for pointing that out. It is Tennessee. It is from Kingsport, Tennessee. So if I said Texas earlier, I meant Tennessee. Thanks, Nicole, for pointing that out. And uh, and Janet, what is your missing persons case of the week? Uh, so thank you so much, Erica, for sending this to me. Um, 
uh, you gave me some some really uh, interesting details uh, that I jumped off of and did some deeper dives. Um, and there's there's some confusing information in here, but I do want to talk a little bit about Mariam Touré Sila. Um, that's M A R I A M E. Touré is T O U R E with an accent, and Sila, which is S Y L L A. Um, she's a 59-year-old woman. Next month is her birthday, and she disappeared July 29th, 2023, so a month ago from when we're recording this. And the location is Greenbelt, Maryland. Uh, Miriam teaches third grade at the Dora Kennedy French Immersion School. She's very beloved there. This is like a very emotional case and just one of one more thing that is very troubling and uh, confusing, and I wish there was more information. She's originally from the Ivory Coast. Um, which is a French-speaking country, and uh, some of her family still lives there, including her sister who came to Maryland after Miriam disappeared in order to help with the searches. So Miriam loved to take evening walks re- pretty regularly um, at the park near her home. That's Schramm Hills Park, Schramm, S-C-H-R-O-M, Schramm Hills Park. But she would always be home before dark for evening prayers uh, because she is a devout Muslim. So there are some details surrounding her disappearance that are a little unclear to me. Um, in some reports, it's said that she was last seen, and I'm putting that in air quotes, at the park. But then when I really look at what the police are saying, I don't really see any evidence that she was actually seen. It seems more that from other reports, she told her son over the phone that she was going to go for a walk, and then she never came home. It said that the son in question lives in Africa and was there when the phone call occurred. But then I read a different report that said that a family member who lives with her reported her missing, who also seems to be her son. So it's unclear if we're talking about two different sons. And to make things more confusing, recently reporting came to light that her son has been in custody since early August after being arrested and held without bond over traffic charges, drunk driving, from several years ago. The police have been very careful to say he's being held on charges unrelated to his mother's disappearance. So with all of that being said, do know that exhaustive searches have taken place with the help of local state police and federal agencies. No traces or clues have been found. Uh, In one ABC report I read, it said that her cell phone had been turned off before the time she allegedly left for her walk. No social media or cell phone or financial activity has taken place, at least not that the police will discuss. They they're a little vague on that. They're just kind of like I, I was watched a couple of different um, press conferences and they said they're you know using all of the available investigative techniques, including looking at every online activity. And when asked by reporters, did you see any activity since then? He said, like, nothing significant but, or that we can discuss. So there's this sort of vague around that. So there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real mystery, and there are some factors at play here that I think probably a lot of us are wondering about. Yeah, it sounds to me like maybe the, like they're treating it as though there were foul play. Have they said if they suspect foul play? They say that they still um, will not say that they suspect foul play. She's considered critically missing or critical missing person because she has medication that she does need to take and she doesn't have it with her. But it's just the, 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 the layer of her son being in custody for, uh, tra- for traffic violations from years ago and the fact that he, like, who, who is a citizen and maybe they, it's totally unreli- I, I don't know. I just, and of course, connections are being drawn between those two by the news. So it's very troubling. 
Have you come across, uh, I looked for in Layla's case and I haven't found a specific Facebook page or group dedicated to her being a missing person. However, if on Facebook, if you just Google or if you just search for Layla Santanello missing, her sister, uh, Jennifer has made a lot of posts about it and made a lot of announcements about it. So that's something that you can follow. Uh, have either of you guys come across any a missing person page or somewhere people could follow if they're from the area for more information? For for my case, I essentially did the same thing. If you look up Gus Red Eagle, um, it comes up all over social media, uh, and it's mainly families pages that are posting. There's not an actual group page yet okay. that I'm aware of. Um, but as of, I mean, I looked before we recorded, and they're still searching for him desperately. I mean, as of an hour ago. Yeah, uh, Nicole Johnson in the chat says. Uh, that it's posted on the Red Lake Police Department page. Uh, she's seen the case and posted on Missing in Minnesota, too. Uh, she said, unfortunately, she doesn't think many missing adult cases end up in the paper. And that is, and she's responding to, let me, I guess I'll back up Amy in the chat. Earlier, it says that she hates that she lives in Minnesota and she subscribes to one of their major newspapers and hasn't heard of the case uh, that you were describing. So. so so my guess is a big part of it is it is in northern Minnesota, far out from everything else, far mm-hmm. out from where all these major newspapers would be cited. And it's it's in a very indigenous community. So I, I don't know that it's probably getting the coverage that it needs. Right. Yeah. And someone did ask if we'll be posting information about these cases on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. We will um, to give you guys places, you know, try to give you things that you can grab or link to, to be able to share if you're from the area. Make sure that we get the word out. And, uh, and Janet, were you able to see, was there any Facebook group or anything for yours? I'll have to look more specifically. I mean, there's definitely conversations having, happening about it. Um, but I don't know that the, the pages that I found when I was searching for personal pages was there was a GoFundMe to try to raise money to help, for example, to bring Miriam's sister over from the Ivory Coast so she could help. And she was able to do that. But uh, we'll see if we can find any really specific links for the Facebook page to put in there. Um, she is, uh, she is five, five. She is 135 pounds. Again, as I said earlier, she is 59, almost 60, possibly last seen wearing a long dress and headscarf, uh, beloved teacher in her community. And we will list the Greenbelt Police Department's phone number, but it is 301-474-7200. Okay. Thank you both for that. I, I kind of sprung that on both Janet and Zach this weekend that uh, we want to, because we didn't have a missing person of the week last week uh, when we started the, the Adnan series on the main page uh, or on the main, on the main feed. So I wanted to at least double up this week and now we've tripled up. So we've got ourselves ahead a little bit, but we want to, we want to continue as we go throughout this in between season time to make sure that we're continuing to highlight cases from around the country and around the world. So again, keep submitting those cases even if they're not in the United States, because, you know, if we can, if we can knock out, if we can kind of do something like this most weeks, then I think on the follow-ups, I think that we can, we can cover more ground as the time goes on when we're between seasons. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. I want to thank everybody for joining us. And for all of you patrons out there, uh, when you hear this Friday, if you haven't already, uh, the plan is on Wednesday, I should have dropped the second episode of the uh, breakdown of the prosecutor coverage of the Anand Syed case you're watching live that will be tomorrow uh i have it edited I, I have it recorded i just need to get it edited tomorrow before i go to class and get that put out so that should be out on wednesday that is on our patreon and uh other than that i think that's it unless either one of you have anything else to add 
Just the uh, somebody asked what you what we can expect from next week's episode. Good question. Uh, I'm not really sure yet. I had I had somebody reach out that was a forensic uh, forensic psychologist uh, that they that they had uh, said it might be a good thing that we could educate our listeners on. And uh, so I was hoping to do that this week. They turns out they can't do it this week. So I in the next couple of days have to figure out what I'm going to do for this week's episode. So of course, if you have any ideas or people you want to hear from, or if you happen to be uh, an expert in any of the fields that might be useful to us to learn about go ahead and reach out to me or if there's just any particular topic you want me to i don't intend for them to be all interviews during this time but uh if there are interviews to do i i like doing the interviews because i like learning new things from different people other than just hearing me so uh not sure what that's going to be yet uh but we will have something for you on sunday i promise and with that thanks everybody for listening Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for being here in the live chat. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com designed, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice.